Welcome to Talking Architecture and Design. My name is Branko Mladic and today we have the first of our series of window testing and design talks with the Glass and Windows Association, the GWA, um, a window tester and architects. We're recording this podcast at GWA's HQ in Sydney and we are speaking to three highly qualified design experts in the form of GWA Technical Manager Russell Harris, Technical technical consultant from Azuma, Craig Brennan, and architect Cecilia Wells from Jackson T's Architects. Welcome, everyone, to Talking Architecture and Design. Hi, Branko. Hi, Branko. Thank you. Architectural window systems are proud supporters of the A&D podcast and the architectural profession throughout Australia. Visit specifyaws.com.au or contact one of our team for support with your next project. What exactly is window frame testing and why does it matter? Want me to take that? Anyone, um, whoever yeah. wants to start. I'll tell you, it's uh, testing, type testing of windows and doors as they go into our buildings. It's a technical requirement for windows and doors to be tested under the NCC, the National uh, Construction Code, uh, and uh, they're tested to the the performance requirements of AS2047, which are five performance requirements in there, uh, which is the windows need to stand up to wind pressures, so there's two wind pressure tests, there's the uh, serviceability wind pressure and the ultimate wind pressure, there's operating force, you've got to be able to open your doors and close your doors easily, so operating force, there's air infiltration which is very important, which is tested in the windows for energy improvements in buildings through your, your glazing and there is water penetration, uh, most people don't like their, their glazing leaking. So Oddly we, enough. We, we, we make sure that it doesn't. Um, Russell, in your experience, what does this testing reveal and how does it affect building designs? Well, I think um, material and product testing is integral to good building design. As we know, um, not all buildings are the same. Um, we have a, a very large country with a, a wide degree of um, different weather conditions and uh, performance requirements. Um, and... The testing is really the only way to, to fully understand how the product will perform in those varying conditions. So as, um, as Craig said, we're testing for the five main attributes. Um, there's another uh, area of testing around energy performance. Um, that's uh, run through the WERS, Window Energy Rating Scheme, uh, which is done in, uh, under the AFRC, or Australian Fenestration Rating Council uh, conditions and protocols. And they, the, the two realms of testing, we also have testing on bushfire, we also have testing on acoustics. So there's a wide range of um, testing regimes that uh, windows and doors uh, undertake to provide um, evidence of their suitability for given conditions. Okay, Cecilia, um, let's talk about residential development and design. Um, in my role, I, I hear a lot about how badly you know, houses are designed in, in Australia in terms of, when I say badly, I mean in terms of our climate, as Russell mentioned, it varies from, you know, from Tasmania to the Kimberley and from far north Queensland to, you know, South Australia. Um, as an architect, is this your experience and, and would you say that well-performing windows equal a good performing building? Well-performing windows definitely contribute to a successful building. They, for a start, they, they form a crucial part of the external envelope. Without them, obviously, you're going to be suffering some pretty dire conditions internally. So it, it's a given that they've got to perform well. 
We rely heavily on tested Windows systems to achieve all of the compliance requirements that are going to set up what would constitute a well-designed building. And part of the issue that we have at the moment is the procurement methods for Windows and Windows systems are coming in under a design and construct contract system. And we're finding that we'll work with the facade engineer on larger residential projects or we'll work with a window manufacturer on smaller projects and get regular details, you know, that have been tested and reliable. And then it will be taken over by a builder um, who is under their, who are under their own sort of uh, economic constraints and will look for alternative systems through different manufacturers and sometimes even completely different systems that we're not familiar with. So a lot of work that's been done with a facade engineer often comes unstuck when a whole new system is proposed. And that's our big dilemma. We then have to go and redo an awful lot of work and find new tested systems or seek from the builder new proof of tested systems. And that's our that's the mm. hardest part for us. In terms of architects in general, and I'm you know, I'm not going to make you out to be the spokesperson for <laughs> all, of all of Australia's <laughs> architects, um, do you think there's a, a level of, of, of knowledge or understanding of, of what it takes? You know, No, I don't. It's a complex area, and you'll find one standard refers to another standard refers to another standard, and very few people have got time to burrow down into the depths of the detail, and the detail is what's going to... Um, deliver you a successful window system. Okay, okay so um, Craig and, and, and Russell, let's let's talk standards. Which mm -hmm. ones are we talking about? Well, the the preeminent standard uh, would be the National Construction Code. That's the new yep. new updated. That's right. Fourteen hundred page one apparently. That's also. it. Twenty nineteen, <laughs> finally, That's as right. of May first. <laughs> it, it, it essentially relies upon AS, uh, Australian standards when it gets down to detail. So if they're caught up in the NCC, uh, the ones that really affect windows and doors is AS twenty forty seven performance requirements for windows. Uh, and then the other one is AS1288, which is the glass requirement going into those windows. Uh, and it basically allows you to specify the right glass for the right wind pressure in AS1288. Um, and then the five performance requirements in AS2047 that I spoke about before, which is, uh, again, serviceability wind pressure, uh, ultimate wind pressure, uh, water penetration, air infiltration and operating force. It's important to note that a product that's been tested to that standard doesn't mean it's fit for purpose in all locations. That's true. Um, we, we predominantly work under um, AS4055 and AS, or AS1170 Part 2 to determine the wind, the appropriate wind category for that site. Yes. Um, and sitting underneath that 2047 then prescribes certain performance parameters based on the wind loads for a given site, so it's a graded system. We have, um, in, for, for example, under 4055, we have N and C ratings, N1 to 6 and C1 to 4. So there's a normal and cyclonic wind areas. Um, well, for, house, uh, for, for housing, for housing yes. only. Yes. There's levels above that 
that we need to test, which are uh, residential buildings, which are a lot of the high-rises you see in Sydney and Melbourne now. Uh, and then you've I got... I don't live Brisbane and Perth. Yeah. Oh, Brisbane and Perth. <laughs> uh, and there's also the commercial buildings. So you, a lot of the time we find, because it's prescribed in AS2047, the actual numbers for CNN ratings, we find a lot of product tested to very low numbers. Mm-hmm. which is suitable for suburbia Sydney and suburbia Melbourne, but they're not suitable for high-rise buildings. That's what we're finding they're not, too. They're, they're not suitable for uh, uh, north of Brisbane, uh, north of Perth, uh, Darwin, uh, and a lot of our coastal areas. They, yeah. they, they will underperform. Yeah. We're also under a lot of pressure to accept systems that are tested and considered to be uh, you know, properly functioning systems for a lower level on a building. So if you get to say a, an eight to 10 story resi building on a coast, you're gonna have the upper floors, particularly on the corners, subjected to some extreme wind pressure. Now that window system there is what, if you're gonna go for a standard system through the entire pr- development, so you don't have a different appearance and different, you know, you can standardize for economy's sake. You're gonna end up with a very expensive window system right through the entire building. Now a lot of builders mm-hmm. just can't sustain that kind of cost. And so we get driven into you know, being pressured to accept a system that is more suitable to the lower floors where the pressures are lower and there's less material involved. Okay, so can I ask, what are some of the um, things that can happen if, if you, know, you put a window that's not... Well, it, there's a really good chance that under the right con- external conditions the window will leak. And uh, this is our greatest concern. Uh, ingress of moisture and condensation are probably the two biggest issues for us when it comes to window design. Okay, and the end result of that is? Damage to the building. It could result in black mould forming. It, uh, there's a whole range of issues. If water isn't constantly led outwards, downwards and outwards from a building, you will end up with trouble. It's just not worth negotiating with it. Water finds its own way. Water finds its way uphill. Mm-hmm. It finds its way in and up and out and through everything. So just we can't even rely on gravity. Like wind pressure is extreme in some situations. You wouldn't believe what it can do. It can go back up, you know, 300 mil into a building. Really? I, yeah. I'd agree with that, but there is other consequences. I've, done, I've been involved in a few legal cases, which I won't mention, but uh, there are windows that have been falling out of buildings, and that's been on constant wind pressure. Uh, there has been cases of... Uh, parts of windows falling out and that's provided by wind pressure and a lot of that has to do with buildings pre 2047 and the BCA requirement or the NCC requirement of having have windows tested uh, went into a lot of these older very older high rises and the windows really aren't in those days weren't built to perform to the requirements uh, that, that are specified today and there's a lot of work going on in old buildings these mm. days. But That's yeah. actually interesting because while we find the windows are tested, the systems are tested, we're finding that connections back to the building aren't tested. Mm. Oh. That's where the water's getting in. Yeah, there, there's another standard that gets caught up and when you're talking about high-rise buildings... Uh, More so just talk, multi-res, well, yeah. multi-res, yeah. But there's, there's a standard 4284, uh, which often gets caught up, and that's for facades in, in buildings. Um, it often gets specified into contracts. 
for facades and it often gets I've noticed cut out of contracts because it is a very high cost to test to 42 uh, 4284 the facade standard but at the very least they should have been tested to 2047 which doesn't 4284 does test the building connections 20 2047 does not it, it, it relies you're testing the window in isolation and the reason for that is these windows go into many different construction types so if you were to build a window into every construction type the testing uh, would be unaffordable but for 4284 it's meant to be representative of what's going into the building so therefore it should be tested to that particular building yeah right. the testing is modeled on the building itself so that's the right. actual design of the building so when we're talking about interfaces we've got a product that's being uh, a generic type product that's being um, installed into varying different construction types cavity yes. non-cavity all those sort of things um, there are a number of standards that give us guidance on that uh, 4654 the waterproofing standard is a good one um, particularly for the seals of doors uh, that lead onto a, a concrete balcony um, that's, uh, there's details in that that are often overlooked um, during the construction process, so the waterproofing of the masonry itself um, and the installation process. Installation has been uh, an area that we've been very focused on where we've identified a lot of problems uh, over the last millennia, um, being that uh, you can have even the best functioning window or door system in the, on the planet installed poorly will result in a, in a, a bad outcome for yeah. the, the occupants. That's actually one thing we've found too. AS4654 uh, references, well, shows details that, for example, show masonry anchors through sills. Mm. Now, we've um, had a number of waterproofing experts come talk to us about these issues and they said there is no way that we would prove a detail with a masonry mm. anchor. Right. It has to be a brooker rod cast into the concrete with the waterproofing membrane firmly adhered to that book rod and then you put a nut and bolt over the top of that and bolt seal down that way when you're using masonry anchor you're basically puncturing through the membrane and there's no sealing around it mm. and um, and that's just one example and while the standard is pretty good and does address a lot of those issues it's not it's not perfect and i think those sorts of things need to be addressed because people look at the standards and think great here's a here's a book i can follow great i'll just do that and it doesn't kind of work that way I'd like to jump in there. I've been part of the Australian Window Association Technical Committee for many years, which Russell heads now. Yeah. Um, heads up, but it's uh, a lot of the major window companies sit on that and will have membership at major and minor. AWA represents 85, 90% of the window companies in Australia. The, there is a lot of good literature that's put out on keynotes regularly by the uh, Australian Window Association, or the Australian Window and Glazing Association. Uh, Russell might be able to expand on some of those. Um, we have an installation guide. Um, we have two, which is uh, the residential and commercial. Uh, the residential is um, currently being, or very near complete, in terms of being updated to meet the, uh, the new NCC requirements. Great. Is that available online? Uh, it will be when it's finished. Excellent. <laughs> still in the, we're putting the final touches on it. Yeah. Um, and uh, I expect that it'll be uh, published in the next month. Great. Um, so definitely, um, and we do have a number of uh, technical bulletins that we provide to members, providing guidance and 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 good building practice for installation. Um, it, it is an area that's 
you know, severely under-regulated and there's, there's no standard that, that will tell you how to put a window in because there are many different building types and there are many different windows so it would be inappropriate to prescribe one method for, that would suit all of those situations but um, essentially looking for a reputable supplier and, and, and you know going with someone that you know has got a track record um, and obviously looking for a, a Glass and Windows Association member is a good start for yep, that. Yep. Um, Often we, though, uh, as I said, with the current procurement methods for buildings, we, we're just presented with whoever the builder has a relationship with. Well, I would put it to builders in those situations that they need to prove equivalency. Yeah. And they need to demonstrate that the, their choice of, of supplier mm. um, can meet the requirements and, and deliver uh, po- you know, positive outcomes for the, for the, for the building owners and sure. occupiers. Sure, Yeah. The, the, the other thing that I see from overseas is uh, we're getting a lot of upmarket type products and double glazing, triple glazing and so on. Um, these products have great attributes, but if they're not put together well, they still they still have issues or in stored, stored well, they still have issues. So just because it's a triple glazed window doesn't mean that you're not going to have water egress mm. unless it's been assembled mm, right. Interesting. So, you, so you need a, the reliability of supply through through the manufacturer as well. Mm. And part of the issue with some of the product is the distance they travel these days. And there's, there's another point too, and, and sort of bringing those two points together, you know, a lot of these um, imported windows, they're, they're manufactured or designed for very different building types. If you look at how they, manu- how they build houses in America, in Europe, they're very different to how we build in Australia. Um, and the windows are designed for those outcomes. So how they interface with the, with the building itself, uh, the waterproofing um, measures that are put in place, the design attributes, uh, are very, very different um, from the imported product versus the Australian product. So how to achieve a good outcome with a product that's designed something else is is a challenge that um, builders would face every day i would imagine Mm. some of these companies have been around for quite a few years now and they've learnt how to modify their products and there are some good imported products these days Mm. but uh they're all good imported products but they're not necessarily suitable for our location Mm. and and our standards they supply whoever wants to test supplies a window to a company like azuma design who's a nada accredited testing facility uh the standard says that you should test your largest product uh, so you can calculate the structural strength of the structural elements in that product for smaller products so it basically goes into a for simplification a large in our case a large stainless steel box uh, we strap it into that uh, we have a huge fan that feeds into that box and we can provide uh, positive and negative pressure depending on how we're testing and we measure the structural elements for the amount of flex that, that they're allowed they're only allowed one millimeter at serviceability when pressure is one millimeter in every 250 millimeters of length so if it's 2.5 high I'll do simple math it's allowed to bend 10 millimeters so that's why you have different uh, structural elements uh, in windows. Some some parts are large pieces of aluminium or large pieces of timber or large pieces of UPVC with steel in it. Um, then uh, we test ultimate wind pressure, which is uh, relates to a <coughs> excuse me a uh, strength test. 
we don't I'm not doing it in the right sequence I should probably do the right sequence we do serviceability wind pressure then we do uh, operating force where we if it's a sliding door it's got to be below 180 newtons to be able to slide it if it's above that and that's a real issue today with heavier windows products if it's above that it's not suitable so it's got to be slide below 180 newtons then we can go to um, air infiltration where we measure the amount of leakage uh, per so if it's under one litre per second per square metre it's considered a grade one uh, is it grade? Low. Uh, low, low, it's considered low so it's a better product for an air conditioned building versus one that's below five litres per second per square metre and then, uh, then we go through to uh, water penetration where we the window inside the box, inside the stainless steel box, we have uh, water sprinklers that uh, spray water over the window um, at 0.05 litres per second per square metre. So what what does that look like? Is that like a fire hose or a garden hose? What are we talking it about? Looks like, uh, <laughs> it, it really looks like a sprinkler system, but, oh, okay. uh, but it looks... Uh, it uh, covers the whole window, so we've got to calibrate that at some stage in our another accreditation, but there's water just literally flowing down the window. Yeah, it's, it's a uniform. Complete, it's a uniform spray across the window. And um, once we've got that, we've got to uh, leave that for five minutes, just wetting the window down. No water is allowed to leak to the inside, what's considered the inside of the building, over the, the hinge. And then we take it to whatever the desired... Uh, water rating they're chasing now the minimum water rating in Australia is 150 pascals so you take the wind pressure up to a positive 150 pascals and the water can leak within its frame but it's not allowed to flow to the inside a lot of your high-rise buildings here in Sydney Melbourne Perth Brisbane these days they're looking for water ratings of 450 pascals or 600 pascals um, sliding products can get there but they've got to be uh, highly upgraded with sump cells and so on okay um but we hold that pressure for 15 minutes so in the real world pressure's rarely held for 15 minutes on, on a window so if it's in a, in a testing facility if it passes that for 15 minutes and doesn't leak there's a good chance if it's assembled into the building square level correctly that it is going going to meet, be there for the, and meet the test of time. Architectural Window Systems are proud supporters of the A&D podcast and the architectural profession throughout Australia. Visit specifyaws.com.au or contact one of our team for support with your next project. You test from the edge of the jam to the edge of the jam, from the edge, the bottom of the sill to the top of the head, right. however it's constructed. The, the good thing about our standards are they're not prescriptive. They are truly performance-based, so it doesn't cut out innovation in windows, and we're Mm. seeing a lot more innovation coming through Mm. in window types as well, and testing continues. And that's that's a good point in terms of uh, product validation, is is ensuring that the product you're receiving is actually what has been tested, Mm. because there are often many many variations, particularly with subframes, subseals, and things like that. So it's important to be sure that... Uh, the test report you presented with actually reflects the product that's been supplied. Mm. Yeah. What well, what I think with the product validation, we've got to get past the acceptance if you've got a bit of doubt of somebody supplying you a certificate to say that it meets AS twenty forty seven and AS twelve eighty eight. 
what you need to do is actually go a bit deeper with those companies and all companies that test do it can supply you a full test report to say yeah it met 2047 but it only had 150 pascal water rating therefore it's not suitable for the building that's good advice Uh, or alternatively uh, this product had a 600 pascal water rating that goes beyond what was specified for the building and then you can get the truth but just getting a certificate to say that you meet those two requirements does not necessarily it meets the requirements of that building mm. Mm. Well, there, you, there you go um so okay let's talk about aesthetics windows are quite literally an aesthetic not just not not just a you know a, a way of bringing light but they're, they're actually an aesthetic facade component um What's the trade-off between aesthetics and functionality? Well, generally, um, the higher rating, particularly when we get to talk about wind load, um, we're talking about higher forces applied to the window, so therefore we're talking about stronger sections. And by stronger, we generally mean larger. So what you'll find in a, in a higher-grade architectural or something suitable for a high wind load area, uh, you'd have larger sections, particularly in their depth, um, whereas a, a domestic window... For a you know suburban residential house, uh, might be quite fine in its design, um, and and that's purely around function. Although there has been a significant trend, um, particularly in the architectural space, for that chunky look. Um, so quite often you'll see large windows in in areas where they're not necessarily required, but it's purely for the aesthetics. And that's interesting because I know that there's a, a new move to the super fine framing systems that are coming in, and I think. Craig, you were referring to these earlier, these high-end imported systems, and they do look absolutely fantastic, but I think they rely on their structural strength because they are um, IG units, insulated glazed units, Uh, so they've got a a lot of inherent strength because they've got a vacuum, evacuated space between two layers of glass and a structural silicon edge, so it acts like a bit of a glass beam, if you like. but uh, I, I, <laughs> IGU in a, in a window frame. But there were limits to that. Well, yeah, <laughs> you can yeah use them. It, it will add some strength, but the strength's really coming through your structural mem- members, your yeah. mullions, your, uh, your transoms, and alike. And basically, the, you only got to go to somewhere like Darwin, have a look at the windows that are in the hotels up there. They've got aluminium sections in the windows that look like railway tracks. They're huge. Oh, uh, and, and that's. That's for a purpose, and, and Darwin, remember, was constructed after Cyclone Tracy, and and some of the buildings have been purpose-built for cyclones. Mm. Mm. Or they all should be purpose-built. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so let's, let's, what's been mentioned a couple of times is, in, is imported windows, mm-hmm. okay? Um, now, um, I assume with every, like with every other, you know, good or components imported, there are grey imports here that, that happen with, with windows, I assume. Um, is this a problem um, and how, how can it be overcome? Actually, I'd just like to jump in there before because I'd like to hear what the guys have got to say about this. But our experience is often, sometimes we will have a client from another country who says, I would like you to use the products of my country. And uh, our natural uh, course of action would be then to seek verification that this the window complies with our local standards and ask them for test certificates accordingly and then have somebody who's suitably qualified to assess that information and get back to us and tell us what we're dealing with. Um, But what's your experience? 
Craig and Russell? Well, my experience is that, uh, especially from the testing side, uh, that they, they still need to meet 2047. They mm. can't, and there is a number of labs overseas that can test to AS2047 because NADA has a mutual recognised mutual recognise Asian agreement with those those countries uh, but again in the early days with the, some of these labs overseas they're, they're testing to the lower standard the customers are coming to them and it's not the labs for it they're coming to them and saying I only want to get 150 pascal water rating because I've got to sell into Australia but that doesn't that doesn't give them an understanding when they get to Australia where they can sell that product so there's a missing advice level there uh, with some of the testing done overseas, and I'm not I'm saying some of it. There's other there's other products that you know uh, some of it comes out of Germany. They can provide you all sorts of strength and detail, but it still needs to be tested to our water performance standards. That 15 minute static te pressure, most other countries don't do it for 15 minutes. They do a staged approach, and uh, our our testing requirements in some in some ways are harsher than overseas testing requirements, I, I and they should be. I think it's a bit like just you know talking about units of measure. We talk about metric and, and imperial. You know, um, they might be using a similar similar methodology, but because it's different, it's therefore the the result is not transferable directly. Um, I, I think the key takeaway is if if you and it doesn't really matter if we're talking about imported product or or local product. It, really, they're the same. Um, there is some excellent imported product and there's some poor local product. Um, the, the key message is don't take a, a, a certificate of compliance to 2047 at face value. Um, you, you need to dig a bit deeper and have a look at what are the performance attributes of the product, what did it actually achieve in the test. So we need to ask for the full report? Ideally, yeah. That's really the only way to do it. Um, or at least a certif uh, certification of the performance results from that test report, so a summary of the test report right. um, that, that tells you what the water penetration resistance is, for example, what the serviceability and ultimate wind pressures are. Okay. Um, that way you can then take those performance attributes and compare them to the, the specifications for that site, for that job, and ensure that they meet or exceed the requirements. Yeah, we've actually gone one step further and we now engage a translator to make sure that our test certificates are reading correctly mm. because we found that when we were using online translation services, you know, automated versions, we were getting some pretty dodgy mm. <laughs> of results there. Oh, and yeah, um, I mean, a lot of um, we have a, a good working relationship with a lot of the certifying associations, so AIBS, AAC, and and the like and uh, a so, lot of so could we just send it along to you guys for example we, we, we do we do provide feedback um to certifiers on on the legitimacy or um how certificates that have been presented could be relied upon so for example if we can if we're able to identify you know some obvious you know look this certificate only covers 150 pascal you've got a 450 pascal requirement um you know i wouldn't advise going with that particular supplier of that product. Look, that level um, of just simple advice would just save us an awful lot of time. Yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, more, than, more than happy to have a look at test certificates. Um, obviously, we can't provide specific advice, specific no, project mm. advice, um, although we do have a number of um, uh, members who do consulting services uh, for our industry that we could rely on and, and refer you to for uh, project-specific advice. Is that online as well, or do we just approach... Um, generally, you can probably the most appropriate way would be to lodge an inquiry online, mm. and uh, one of our technical team will get in contact with you. Okay. And, 
great. Zoom a, a couple of times a year too. We run a couple of the training courses out at Weatherall Park, out at our testing facility for a lot of the window companies or new people into the window game. But we're also doing once a year this, these days uh, for certifiers to attend. We open up the facility, take them through what is required for a window test, but not just that, the restricted opening requirements these days. And we take them for, for a whole day, we take them through the actual testing and what's involved. So Azuma's quite happy for people to jump onto those courses mm. and uh, come and have a look. On that note, um, training is a big part of our industry. Obviously, it's a fairly complex area, um, and it's not an area that's intuitive. People don't automatically, they, they just assume that their window is going to meet their requirements. Um, so uh, we do a lot of training both in and outside of industry. So um, the, the course that Craig mentioned is um, Windows Essentials. Windows Essentials course. Um, there are a number of online courses you can do as well, um, which I'd, I'd advocate for and, and encourage people to, to to go on and just learn about what what the standards are that apply to Windows, how they're to be applied, um, what, what relevance they have, and just learning the, that space. That's, that's fantastic because, you see, one of the big issues in architecture I'm finding after being in the game for 30, 35 years is the standard of construction knowledge is dropping significantly and people are... What, what, sorry, why is that? It is because uh, university courses aren't concentrating on teaching people how to build a building. They're teaching them how to design buildings from a more of a, a broader perspective, and it depends on the course as well. Some courses do include a construction course. It might be for a short period of time. I, was, I guess I was fortunate our course went for a solid year. Some people only get six weeks. Mm. So there are, there's a huge variety in, the, mm. in the, the makeup of education courses. And there are very good reasons for that. But when it comes down to putting a building together and putting a set of construction drawings together, I mean, not every architect does that. It's a very sort of niche part of what we do um, and certain people within the practice will specialise in that. Some people are more front end, some people are more better at the construction delivery side but I'm finding just generally the level of experience when it comes to putting construction drawings together is just not what it used to be. We've also seen a paradigm shift in, in how the market or how the industry functions. You know, once upon a time an architect project managed the entire and had then signed off on the end. That's probably the atypical example. That's days. right. It's that's right. And that's and I think you're absolutely right. You hit the nail on the head. Um, we're finding that because we uh, have lost so much control over the process and are now just seen as the arbiters of taste, and that's it. <laughs> not, not you know, hey, there are a stack of other performance requirements that we need to meet as well yeah. to make sure the building's going to perform and you know be everything to you know what its owners are expecting. We're finding that um, that's now being those roles are being subsumed by others in the in the delivery chain, and that the architect who used to have the whole picture in their head, every nut and bolt, is now being palmed off to others, mm. and so the knowledge is slipping away with it. Mm. And part of that, again, as I said, and I keep bringing this up, is uh, are the procurement methods we're, that we're using to to buy buy our buildings. If you're just doing a house, it's nice and simple. Get excellent control there. But if it's a more complex building, 
you definitely... Also, uh, certification requirements are so extreme now that um, you can't afford to have one person do everything, you know, so you've got to split the task up. And that's why larger practices handle bigger buildings. Architectural Window Systems are proud supporters of the A&D podcast and the architectural profession throughout Australia. Visit specifyaws.com.au or contact one of our team for support with your next project. time has gone on we've, we've, there are more people involved in, in the in the supply chain if you like of, of um, building design um, do you actually see that changing back to before is it actually even getting more sort of um, diverse and I think dispersed? It, no I think it will go back because I don't think it's suiting builders either it's causing them all sorts of pain because they just want a decent set of drawings they can build a building from and a client just wants a building that they know is going to work that's not going to leak. That's going to be warm, cool, whatever you want. And uh, the only way to do that is to bring it back to, as I often say, play, the person best able to handle the risk is the person who knows most about the subject, and that is the person who should handle it in every single case. So a window tester is the person best able to test a window or give advice on windows. But as an architect... We need to take more of the responsibility for the overall design in detail and we need to go back to that and carry it right through from start to finish, not hand it over at 70% and say, hey, you guys just work it out from now mm. and then the builder will come back and inevitably say, I don't have enough to build this building. Then you're taken on board under the wing of that builder, employed by the builder, not the owner. There's a big change of shift in responsibility there and um, allegiance, if you like, even though you have a long-term responsibility to the owner, your new allegiance is to who's employing you. And I think that's a real conflict of interest because a builder is, like all of us, we run businesses and a builder has to make money in the end and survive and keep and do the best job they can because they want the next job. But to do it, they have to look strategically and economically at what they're doing. And so if they find a better, faster way of doing it, it might have cut a couple of corners, not necessarily saying that's what happens, but whatever way you can do it to get the job over the line, you will do it. You'll push hard. And it's, it's making the whole game of architecture very hard, very difficult. It's, it's a stressful game now. It's not the... And you know, completely enjoyable. It's you really got to work hard to get a great building, really, really hard. Which is, you know, we do it because we love it. You don't take on architecture because it's a, you know, an easy game. You take it because it, you, you think you're going to produce something great. That's, that's that's interesting. Every architect I know looks very relaxed. Maybe they're not. Maybe <laughs> maybe <We're good>. <laughs> not so relaxed. We're, we're good at hiding it. <laughs> But part of the uh, responsibility coming out of a, a good architecture or gives good specification from a window company point of view, whether it be a manufacturer here or overseas, would they need to be supplied the right information. And two numbers they need to be supplied is serviceability wind pressure and ultimate wind pressure. Yes. Too, too often I see 
specifications that say uh, this is a wind speed, this is a topographical area number. This, they haven't done the calculation. All those numbers go into a calculation in AS1170 to come up with two numbers, serviceability wind pressure and ultimate wind pressure. They need to be supplied to the people down the chain so they can deliver the proper proper the, the, the correct product for that site. And too often that's not happening as well. Uh, yeah, um, it, that's a good point. Um, I've been teaching a lot of the guys at work how to do that. Mm. And we're finding that the, there aren't a lot of ready reckoner calculators online. And so we've been going, do we go to unusual sources to find a nice even path through that? There's a, a particular um, roofing manufacturer, there's even a carport manufacturer, all of whom have this identical flow path to teach you how to identify the end pressure state that you're looking for. Well, the, the window manufacturer too often says it's just too hard to get those numbers from the builder. But they, they've got to be there. They're, just from the window point of view, just to build the building, just to put a, uh, a, a roof on, they've got to have had those numbers somewhere along yeah, the, the builder, Yeah, the builder is too busy trying to get ready to build and to build and to finish off. Um, they do expect that the designer has done the design. Yes. What's happening now is we expect the builder to do a lot of the design, and that, I think, is where it's falling down. And I think the builder in turn then relies on suppliers to to do the engineering, which should have been done right from the first place. Yes. And when I was involved with a window company, uh, there's one thing that we'd tell our sales guys, you're not to nominate those numbers, mm. you because you're not qualified to nominate those numbers. That needs to come from the designers of the building, whether mm. it be an architect or a building designer or a... Or a because um, if you if you think about it, you know you've got these different trades. I mean, you've got the the roofing and windows are probably the most predominant trades or, or areas of the building that uh, are affected by wind load. And who's to say those two suppliers are coming up with the same number? Yep. You know, and and, and probably neither of them are qualified to be making that assessment. Yeah. It really needs to come from the the, the engineer on the job or the designer. Mm. Yes. We often go to the structural engineer because the structural engineer has to certify a lot of structural glazing too. Mm. Yep. And so that they're in a perfect position to identify that number. I, th yes. I think the, the, the type of job you're talking about where there is an engineer on site and it's a proper building design, then they're not the issue. No. It, it's the everything down the train. Uh, from true. <laughs> the smaller yes. buildings, yeah. yeah. The yeah. smaller jobs. Very yeah. much the smaller buildings. Yeah. And, that, and that's also where... Um, having decent online calculators would really help mm. um, and I'm thinking that um, from the uh, it's not AWA anymore it's the, it's the Glass and Windows Association Glass and Windows Association thank you so Glass and Windows Association for example would be in a perfect position to uh, be able to assist architects and designers with that kind of info we actually do have an online calculator that is quite easy to use oh, good to um, know. however it does require you to do a training course on how to use it oh. so but the training course <laughs> is online and it's relatively affordable and okay. it's available to obviously to our members but also to anyone okay um, so yeah by all means I'd encourage people especially building designers and and builders people uh, up the food chain who are providing the specifications the information um, to, to do that course and it's, it's very good because it, it's only applicable to houses it's not something that would cover 1170 part 2 it's only a 4055 calculator so it's only applicable to class 1 buildings um, within the size limitations of 4055 um, but look that's that's a, a major part of the market so um, 
you know, and, and the beauty of the course is that, uh, and the tool is that you don't actually even have to go to site. You can do it all through Google Earth. You okay. can look at the topography, the terrain, the region, and look at all the parameters that you need to, to evaluate under 4055 and then enter those parameters into the calculator and it then tells you uh, what the, the N or C rating is for that site. But the, the calculator is quite good for housing. Um, to do a calculator for 1170 part two, which is for your larger buildings, your high rises, your, even your larger houses, is quite difficult in respect that there is so many factors that go into developing those. We really should be referring to a structural engineer saying anything exactly. other than a class one building. Mm. Absolutely. It should be okay. Going, yeah. yeah. All right. Good I, to know. I agree totally because you can get two engineers mm -hmm. come up with two different numbers because there's so many multipliers. <laughs> that never that happens, in, Craig. Go into that, <laughs> but it needs to come from an engineering department. Yeah. Out of, out of, okay, out of interest, out of interest, I know. I know there's, there are differences in terms of what you can use in terms of windows and, and in terms of where you are in Australia, um, but is there a material that would be, let's call it universally um, applicable and probably what you say would be the best material to use for a window and what would be a material that would be least um, you know, desirable? I, I think it very much depends on, on what you're trying to achieve. Um, there is no good, better, best um, in, when it comes to materials. The, Craig, Craig mentioned earlier that our standards are performance-based, and they're that, they're that way for a reason. Um, it really doesn't matter what you use or how you go about achieving that result as long as you achieve the result. So the fact that the windows are tested um, and, and comply with the requirements, uh, they, they do so based on actual tested outcomes as opposed to... Um, a specification of a particular material or anything like that. So um, obviously uh, different materials have different attributes. So for example, uh, your PVC and your timber are excellent, have excellent thermal properties. So they're very good from an energy perspective. Um, aluminium, not so much because it's a conductor. Um, but there are um, value-added options within the aluminium. So thermally broken aluminium, which is a, an insulator between the inside and the outside, acts as a thermal break. So, so that's a very good example of um, it really doesn't matter what, what material you're selecting. Uh, it's about the performance that that material can achieve. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, material selection from an architectural perspective is heavily governed by combustibility as well. Okay. In, the, in, in larger buildings, yes, mm. absolutely. So does that cut across cladding issues? Well, also in housing too because you've got um, bow ratings often a bush when, you're, yeah, yeah. when you're in a close proximity yeah. to bush. Mm. Yeah, so uh, again... Coming back to performance, um, the, the, so if we're talking about bushfire, we're talking about AS3959. AS3959 is actually split in two. There's a performance-based section and then there's deemed to satisfy. The deemed to satisfy does allow timber, PVC and, and metal, metal, aluminium, um, at varying degrees throughout the different bowels. Um, but all materials uh, can be tested to 1530 Part 8 and demonstrate their conformance with any particular bow, and many do. Bow, bow, bow is bushfire attack level, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that, that's interesting. So what's on the horizon with windows, window testing, and also window design? I mean, you know, uh, Australia is, is, is certainly changing in terms of how we're building buildings. I mean, we're going... I guess we're going kind of away from, you know, the single-level single, single level residential 
to maybe more multi-res, multi-floor. Um, how, how, what, what are we seeing in terms of new technology, new materials, new, uh, new, new ideas? Can I j jump in there for a sec? What we're seeing is energy is driving windows, mm -hmm. energy performance and housing and buildings driving window performance. And, and um, generally, everybody has this perception of double-glazed windows or IGUs as for the colder climates because that's where they were originally developed overseas. They're actually better suited to warmer, warmer climates. It takes more energy to cool a house than the heater house. So uh, double-glazed, triple-glazed products are becoming more, more frequently used in the house for the long-term benefit of those housing or build buildings energy uh, performance. Yeah, and the new ceiling requirements from tw um, the NCC 2019 are requiring better building ceiling so that you're using less energy to heat and cool uh, interiors. So that automatically translates to double glazing pretty much everywhere. So we are now looking mostly on all our jobs. Double glazing is normal. Yes. Triple glazing is the new double glazing. If we look at um, the trajectory we're on, you know, 2019 is really just uh, the next step and there's many more to come in terms of the, 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 the increase in the importance of energy. Um, and windows are effectively a hole in the wall. Uh, we can, we've gone about as far as we can putting more insulation in the walls. Uh, we're not going to get better performing buildings um, without doing something with the windows. So there's definitely... Um, a, a, an obvious trend uh, that we've seen over the last 10 years and, and it's only it's a curve that's that's increasing in its in its steepness you know the mm. the double glazing is becoming prolific we've, we've gone from um, you know seven percent to 70 percent in the in Victoria uh, for the use of IGs um, in in only a decade and the other states are following the so, some areas we've gone past this simple IGUs with clear glass in it uh, now we, we're getting glass and many different forms of glass into these IGUs that have low emissivity surfaces. We have argon-filled IGUs. Uh, we have sun shields that can be put in triple bat lasing. There is m a huge variety of products uh, in the glass area that are also driving a change in specification to the buildings. Glass is not glass anymore. It's uh, oh, right. It is the real insulator of a building. That's right. Yeah. It, it's interesting. Buildings generally, the whole envelope is a whole different ballgame now. It is not just a simple cavity wall construction. They are high-performing elements where every layer, leaf element in that facade makeup is analysed for performance and uh, how it contributes to the overall system because we're always being forced to have, find the most economical, high-performing solution possible. And with as materials change, we have to adapt and we're constantly chasing through new systems for that reason. And, gl and glazing is exactly the same. So glass type is incredibly important. So actually my question was going to be, uh, to Russell, uh, what's, what are you um, finding in terms of um, the developments in glass types? Oh, it's um, it's gone off the Richter scale in the last decade in terms of the availability of and, and the emerging technologies in, in glass production. Um, we have soft coat, we have hard coat low ease um, that are, are widely available now, in fact, almost commonplace um, in terms of being the predominant glass type that's being supplied to the market. 
Um, we're ever seeing clear annealed glass is, is ever shrinking in its volume. I mean, that was the mainstay of our industry 10 years ago, and now it's the, the minority of, of production. <laughs> Even the construction of the IGUs, the spacer is an aluminium spacer in a, a standard IGU. That is changing. We're going to firmer, firmer plastic spaces, we're going to warm edge spaces that uh, even make the IGUs perform even is, better. Is that to stop the leaking of the gas from the IG unit? It's no, about just it's preventing the, thermal bridging. It's done another just thermal, for thermal bridging. Thermal bridging. Predominantly, yeah. Yeah. Is it true that argon, for example, will leak out of an IG unit uh, over I, time? Okay. I, IG units... So that its performance drops? Is that is that actually a thing or is it...? Only, only if the IGU deteriorates All right. and the IGU uh, supposed to be tested we don't have a lot of capacity in Australia yet but it will happen uh, to another standard which is AS4666 uh, which is testing IGUs for long-term weather performance and um, the more products that go through that testing requirement, the better IGUs are going to get as well. Oh, that's mm. good to know because we also handle high rise. Yeah, there are, there are a few variables there. Um, I mean, obviously the edge seal is, is very important to yes. the long-term performance of an IG uh, unit. And um, there are, you know, how that unit is installed in the frame. I mean, good window design is about the whole system. We can, we can talk about, you know, having headline um, components. You know, we've got this, we've got that, we've got that. But... Um, the the true success of the system is about bringing it all together. Um, so keeping that um, the edge seal dry and protected from ultraviolet is important mm. for its long term viability. So you know a good drain system and a well designed system will provide years decades of, of a good service life of the IGU. Mm. Okay. Um, a poor performing system is not going to. Mm. The the other area there that's critical that doesn't seem to be is the right sealants. The IGUs are made with a particular sealant, there's a variety of them, but there's also sealants used around your window systems that need to be compatible with mm -hmm. those IGUs. Uh, it's not a matter of running down to Bunnings and picking up the latest glazing uh, uh, tube that you got down there and using mm -hmm. that. It, you, you need to talk to your sealing companies, especially in your your larger buildings, make sure that they're using the correct stuff. There's a real science to it. Yes. There is. Yeah. Wow, well, who, who knew there was so much about windows? Um, we love windows. Oh, we, well, that's why you're the... Uh, uh, glass and Windows glass Association. Glass and Windows Association of, of, of Australia. Is it of Australia or just association? Association. Okay. okay. <laughs> well, guys, um, I think we'll wrap it up then. But look, thank you very much. That has actually been fascinating. Um, Cecilia Wells, Craig Brennan... Russell Harris, thank you very much for being on Talking Architecture and, and Design. And until next time, goodbye. Thank, thank, thank you. you. Architectural Window Systems are proud supporters of the A&D podcast and the architectural profession throughout Australia. Visit specifyaws.com.au or contact one of our team for support with your next project.